When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Hollywood, California, the horror capital of the world, the Boulet Brothers, Creatures of the Night. Uglies, and welcome to Creatures of the Night, post-mortem for the Boulet Brothers Dragula Season 5, Episode 4. As always, we are your queens of darkness, the Boulet Brothers. Drac and Swan. And before we start rocking out, let's talk a little bit about last week because there was so much feedback from the fans. They truly are being well-fed this season, uh, really fattened up by the goodness of season five, wouldn't you say? I would say. It seems like people are loving the show so far, and I was excited for people to see this episode because this was maybe my favorite episode so far, even though I've loved all of them, and I, I really thought people would like it. They did. I feel like people are starting to draw the lines in the sand about who they like and who they don't or actually nobody really doesn't like anybody or who they think's doing well and who they think isn't yeah who are they cheerleading because i think the characters and their relationships are really getting defined when we wrap up episode three and yeah it's just sort of exciting to see what happens next i think people really liked throb's look which that makes sense from episode three because we did too. I mean, Throb was like very, very close. It was excellent. Running to, yeah, I, I agree. And I, I understood the whole thing. I mean, I don't know. People at home probably don't know this. But a lot of what we say during deliberation and judgment gets cut. Because it has to be reduced down. I mean, we are there a full day filming all that. So, That's 12 hours, darling. Uh-huh. And so... A lot of what we say doesn't make it on screen. So people have questions like, oh, my God, how did this person do this? Or how did that person not say this? Well, we say stuff about everybody. But if we kept everything on there, the show would be five hours long per episode. <laughs> which, is, which is really conjuring up this one comment that we got somewhere online over the past couple of days. And it was like, they should release every minute of everybody's lip sync performance because how can we judge them fairly? And I'm like. Darling, if you did the math on that, we'd be listening to, like, uh, The Devil's Ball for, like, 45 minutes. There's, like, 10 Can people. you imagine? So you would hear the song play, then it would stop, then it would play again, then stop, then play for, like, t what show would ever do that? It makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, 10 times in a row. The thing is, it's, it's highlights of their performance. If there was something relevant either in the negative or the positive, it's shown. And if it's not, well, you know, you got to make room. Yeah, and I just want to remind people because maybe sometimes they're very passionate about the current season or who they love and who they want to see do well. But if you think back about the way that we, the team that puts together Dragula, Blade Brothers Productions, handles the way that we present all of the competitors pretty much since season one, we really try to show them at their best. So we do go through and slice and dice and kind of pick and choose the best moments to highlight the, the, the spice and and the performance and all of their abilities. So, you know, you may not get to see every minute of everybody's lip sync, but I'm not crying over no, that. No, someone <laughs> said something about Anna's. They said, why did you wait to show Anna's gag until the end? And I'm like, I was there. 
Anna waited until the end to show Anna's gag. I mean, that's why I said like 75% of the show. So every time she did her floor show, she waited until the very end to turn around. So all the judges didn't really get the story until the exact end of the show. Mm -hmm. And that was what we saw. So our version of that, what you saw on the floor show was a, you know, simmered down version of that same kind of situation. I could picture that performance on tour in, in a series of other performances, you know, and a lot of Dragula performers will bring really bombastic, crazy numbers, including our performances, but to have a, a moment like that where it slows down for a yeah. good three or four minutes and then you that gunshot reveal at the end I feel like people would be up out of their seats like it yeah. would be so dramatic and effective but that's the difference between performing on stage in front of a live audience and performing on television absolutely I think Anna's a great performer we've said it on the show and I think there's more that people will see from her and I mean, I'm sure people will see her perform live, too, because she performs. She's been performing for years and she will continue to. I did want to talk a little bit about Fantasia's because people had a question about Fantasia's. I think Satana's look was stronger than Fantasia's, but this was particularly a performance challenge. We said it literally. So the look was part of it, but the look played a less significant role than the performance. And the performance that Fantasia gave was incredible. She was all over the stage. She maximized the space. Her lip sync was on point, and she also had little sort of 1920s moves and stuff. So, you know, she killed it in the floor show. That's the truth. I totally agree. She absolutely was channeling the energy of the challenge, the period, the art deco, the cabaret star. Like, she she gave us moves like the Charleston and, you know, whatever they're called from, back from that era, or at least what I think a lot of people think of that era. And it, it kind of brought me there. Another thing that Fantasia brought to the stage was the detail of when we look at the look, we can tell the story of how that character died. And she had the the microphone and was using the wire in a performative way and the ligature marks on the neck, even though Satana's character died in a similar way because she also had marks, but you couldn't tell the story just by looking. We needed it to be explained. Also, Fantasia was safe, not in the top. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, well, people were kind of people were kind of coming for her a little bit and like talking, I think, kind of down about, oh, the look was too simple and it wasn't this and it wasn't that, but it was a performance challenge. And every time I say the word performance in relation to Dracula, I do think of Zavaleta, a performance competition. And uh, I just do, oh my God, I can't say the word without thinking that. Yeah. And I just think that had you been there, and even if you go back and like roll the tape and watch the episode again, Fantasia's performance is on 10. Yeah. And look, this is all subjective. It's people in a room watching performances and judging what they think is a good look or a bad look, or does it fit the challenge? So you know, everyone's going to have an opinion and they're welcome to, they should, it's like a gladiatorial battle. Everyone's cheering for somebody, you know, and that I like that. I don't like when they're mean to the contestants though. I think that's really uncalled for. No, I agree. To come to your house and slap your little chunky face. (laughs) You know know what? (laughs) You know what else is objective? Whether a hat should really symbolize something or be something, or could it just be a hat? I'm going to talk about the Can hat. it just be a I'm going to speak on the hat. Okay. <laughs> I don't like the hat. I said it on the show. I said it on the podcast. I said it everywhere. I don't like the hat. You're not allowed to not like my hat. Okay? <laughs> You're not. You can, Actually, you cannot like it, but you don't need to come and tell me about it in some kind of rude, obnoxious way, some kind of lower middle class humor way that I don't want to hear about. Okay? And mm-hmm. if you do it, I'm going to block you. It's that simple. Well, I'm going to auction the hat. Yeah. I'm going to auction it. That's. Yeah. No, just the one. Just, just yours. Just mine. Because mine has all the hate energy in it. 
Mine's the Target. So you can buy the mean one on Drax eBay, but you can buy the sweet one on mine. <laughs> oh, my God. But really, it wasn't supposed to be anything. I don't understand people's obsession with trying to assign something to it. And, I mean, look, obviously people think it because more than one person thought it. But I'm like, like it's a bed or it's a toilet bowl. It's or a Xanax like, bar. I'm like, I don't understand. <laughs> it's like a Rorschach test. I'm like, you see a toilet bowl. Well, clearly I know where your head is. Well, You're seeing a Xanax, so I see where your head is. I need everybody to go ahead right now and just Google like the Kentucky Derby and look at what these women wear on their heads. They are structural architectural nightmares. It's crazy. And, and no one's asking, well, what is her hat? It is a hat. The well, answer is in the question. What is that hat? It's a hat. How come nobody <laughs> looks at Orgotic and says, what is that? Because I mean, good luck figuring that out, right? That's like a car wreck every episode and nobody's questioning that. It's true. So let's step out of the haunted hotel and into the Monsters of Rock Part one. That's right, darlings. It's time to bang our heads and raise the dead. But first, let's take a quick break and we'll bring Ian in and we will pick up with our post mortem. Welcome back, everybody. Ian, hi. Okay, D-E-V. Oh, sorry, I'm trying to log into my eBay account so that I can <laughs> buy these fucking hats. I want them. I don't want to get outbid. Better turn on notifications because as soon as it goes up, it's going to sell for millions. Push notifications. <laughs> enabled, mom. Like hotcakes. Like little green urinal hotcakes. Oh, steamy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god this hat is infamous oh yeah mama this hat is it's a, it's a brand new character do you think they'll audition for season six i think but you know what's weird I, we just spoke about it i thought i threw that hat in the trash literally the <laughs> oh, next day remember yeah. like i thought i threw the entire outfit and the hat in the trash because i was like i don't i'm never gonna wear this again now i'm gonna wear it on tour <laughs> <laughs> well now i'm conjuring up like an ugly hat challenge or, or every season we have to wear yes. one oh, yes. buck down like one oh, buck Town cardboard Whoa, but wait, hat. what is it? We'll have to guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It has to be a pill bottle. Can't you see? Do you have eyes? <laughs> Damn. All right. So let's get back to this episode. So why did we do this as a two-part episode? That's the first thing people are probably going to ask. Probably no one will ask it, so whatever. Because every time we talk about something, they don't want to talk about it. But... <laughs> Let's just assume one person asked, why did you do a two-parter? So the reason why is because in the past, when we've done Monsters of Rock as one episode, I feel like the individual looks were so incredible, mm -hmm. but they almost got overlooked because then the band challenge will happen and all this drama happens, and then people forget to talk about how great the solo looks were. So this time we decided to break it up into two parts so that the solo looks would actually get some attention, and also... We didn't want to make it boring, so we wanted to make sure there was, there was a consequence. So it is a full episode with a challenge, a look, and someone going home on that episode. And a lot of risks, like just like candidly, I've been bracing for episode four because I, I think we took a lot of risks. Like we stepped up to the craps table, grabbed the dice and shot. And I and I just I'm wondering how the fans will respond because a lot of things shifted around on episode four. Definitely. There are some format changes, but I also feel like this episode really brings us a whole heaping helping of drama and character development. Like I, I was rewatching the episode for this recording. and I was like, oh, my God. Everyone is going crazy in the lab. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about it. So what stood out? So we, we kind of start off the episode, as we always do, with people coming in the room and discussing. What sort of drama did you see there? 
I mean, I think the obvious one is the reckoning of where we left off on the haunted hotel, which was Orgotic dumping a drink on JK's head at the end of the cauldron and then cut. So it was like, oh, what a spicy cliffhanger. But here we have Or coming back into the room and they kind of talk about it. What did you think of that, Ian? Yeah, well, first I want to give a quick shout out to Orgotic's outfit because Orgotic walks back into the room and I'm like, oh my God, who is this like Cenobite Matrix nightmare creature? <laughs> well, I, just, I thought it was interesting. Like Orgotic comes in and sort of made makes zero omissions for himself or just kind of just like, yeah, this happened and like kind of get over it. And I actually <laughs> really respect, like, I know that it's a really polarizing thing that happened, but mm-hmm. I feel like Orgotic comes in with just sort of like blase boss energy and he almost creates static with everyone. I was like shocked. I was like, oh my God, go He's off. Like, I dare you to defy me. I dare you to step to me or like point out what I'm like, what I've said or what I've done wrong. And I love it with the epic answer of like, why, why did you dump that drink on me? Well, you're always telling me I'm making you wet. (laughs) I was so gagged that day. I was rolling. There was something that wasn't shown, which was JK was being very flirtatious towards Orgotic Mm -hmm. and that, you know, again, we can't show everything that happens, but I think it was getting a little bit much. And I think it was sort of irritating Orgotic. I also am very happy with the way JK handled it because mm-hmm. JK could have freaked out or thrown a drink on him or threw at a table or, or something at him, but he didn't. He was very calm and I thought it was handled well. No, 100%. And I want to say that all in all to this entire cast, going back to when they first met at the campfire on episode one for Terror in the Woods, they're able to have issues, have static, throw shade. It's fun. Some of it might be a little serious, but everybody can just sort of get over it and move on. And I really respect that. Yeah, I agree. But I do think that there was one piece of static that, for me, it sort of elevated a little bit. And that was with JK and Fantasia. Like, mm. I think that generally everyone is able to sort of trade these barbs. But I think that Fantasia actually got kind of offended at what JK said about this not being maybe Fantasia's specialty. She's like, oh, it's just, it's not my arena. What, right. what made you think that, Ian? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's, it's the urinal cake. It was, it was the tiara that was what supposed to be. What made you bit. think she was upset? The fact that she snapped <laughs> and got a complete 100% different personality? <laughs> oh, maybe it was that. I don't know. Oh, I wow. was kind of shocked in the yeah. moment, right? Yeah. I was like, whoa, okay. Yeah. And I, <laughs> yeah. And I, I didn't think he was trying to be offensive necessarily. Yeah. Well, and I kind of feel like that is maybe an indicator of maybe where Fantasia's head is at in this episode, because there is sort of this defensive back and forth, which again, this is why I think JK is a little bit of a beloved bratty younger brother Mm -hmm. because it becomes this back and forth of like, okay, well, you know, you let me know when you want a challenge. Oh, I will win a challenge and maybe we'll be on the same team. Cool. And then I'll have two wins. Well, I'll have a win. And just like this back and forth. I'm like, Oh my God, that's not funny. It ain't a joke. You are a joke. And I was like, (laughs) that's the second person that caught him a joke so far. Right. Well, it is JK. JK girl. (laughs) JK. A joke. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> it's giving amateur. <laughs> oh, so then um, we go into challenge issuing. But but just before we go into challenge issuing, there's a little bit of like sort of Ooh. ominous foreshadowing here because we have an interview with Orc who's giving us his take on what happened. And he discloses that he is trying to put a spell on Jarvis to bring about his death. Yeah. I don't know if I'd say he was trying to put a spell on Jarvis or if he completely 100% landed a whammy right on Jarvis's forehead. Oh, no, I'm using Orc's 
words. Like he's like, I'm gonna put a spell on Jarvis and I'm gonna be the harbinger of his death. And I was like, Whoa, my God. Just to see what happens. Wow. People are speaking things into existence a lot. Cause mm-hmm. remember, JK was like, I'm gonna win. And at the time everyone was like, What okay, the girl. hell is she talking about? Yeah. Like I think too. the cast and the crew were like, uh, you might <laughs> want to say that exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you might want to say I'm going to do okay. Us too, because a couple episodes ago we were talking about um, in deliberation. It was like I feel like Fantasia is playing it safe, and maybe yeah. and that's a tactic that can work. But you just size up your competition and then go in for the kill. And I saw someone online say like, "Okay, they said this, but where's the kill, sis?" And I'm like. Just wait till the end of episode four. Oh, so impatient. Like, my God, just wait a week. Oh, someone mama. said that they were like, where's Coco? I thought Coco was supposed to be on there. Oh. And it was like the same episode that they were on. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> God. So, okay, we do challenge issuing. We tell them about the Monsters of Rock and that there's a first part and that someone's going to be exterminated before they even get to the group challenge. And I think they were legitimately gagged. No, absolutely. That that sudden death element, which has never been introduced to the show before, became very real. And I think it kind of hung on them through the rest of the, the laboratories, the creatives. Like Jarvis says it, the energy in the room is very different. I also want to give a very quick little moment to y'all's appearance in the challenge swing videos. Like you guys look amazing. Oh, but thank I, you. Yeah. Oh my, I love that look. And I also, I just, I feel like I'm noticing something different about it. I don't know. I'm I'm like, oh my God, the body count is rising. What's happening? Mm -hmm. Our business is sometimes messy. (laughs) I really like the black and white. I love to be in black and white. If I could just snap my fingers, that's the world that I would live in. Yeah, y'all do look really good there. Like people in the 40s, how they saw things. Oh yeah, you know. Time where everything was in black and white. It's so disrespectful when we see old movies like colored. I'm like, that is not right. I don't need nobody needs that. I know when they do like a World War II movie, and I'm like, and it's in color, I'm like, yeah, right. (laughs) They didn't have color. Please be realistic here. (laughs) Okay, period accurate. It's like, oh, okay, things were in color. I'm like, sure. Next you're gonna tell me there was like people eating ham out of jello. Like, okay. Well, we're okay with people in the Middle Ages being in color. Oh, and, and everyone is British. Yeah, everyone's totally. British. <laughs> <laughs> oh my lord! You know, one thing does happen during this laboratory sort of post challenge issuing, and it's it's Blackberry and Fantasia have this moment, which I think is really important, and you just don't see stuff like this on TV or in pop culture much. And I think it's really necessary to kind of push forward. LGBTQIA plus agendas and just people's visibility. And, you know, everybody has the right and they deserve the respect to tell their story and to hear how Fantasia basically for writing a bad check escalates to just being seven years sort of on the run with a warrant and not be able to get her own job or her own apartment, nothing legal. And as a trans woman, she kind of pushed through and beyond that and defied the statistics and is really a success. I mean, and I think she just shows in that moment what a star she is and her her sense of like endurance and perseverance. And Blackberry's there to support that and support her. And I love this moment. Well, also the fact that she used drag to get by. I thought that mm-hmm. was really interesting because it shows how important drag was to her and just keeping her you know keeping food on the table and keeping her bills paid during that time exactly and this is the stuff this is the stuff i want people to hear because i think we live in a generation that's has it better in some ways than i think previous generations have in terms of acceptance and 
representation representation and so all that sort of things not you know there's financial things and everything that maybe aren't as good actually but in terms of like society as a whole i think it's much better and people sort of if you never experienced that kind of hardship you can take it for granted and i think it's so important to tell people stories like fantasia who's like guess what sherry mm-hmm. it wasn't that someone like said my name wrong or something i was in jail yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> i couldn't work i had to do drag to get by and I, I'm just so proud of her for sharing that and not trying to sweep it under the rug. Well, yeah, and also it's it's not only that she she did use drag as a way to get by, but then she even says, she's like, this is why I'm so proud of my career and my success because she literally built herself a platform and then is able to translate that onto coming onto the Blade Brothers Dragula on an even bigger platform. It's just, it's like a success story. She's the perfect type of contestant to me because she's someone that has something already on her own. And she still is like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to come on this competition Mm -hmm. and compete and put myself out there because it's it's a pageant like I can do this and then I could go do another pageant, another pageant. If I win, hey, that's awesome. I'll win one hundred thousand dollars. I'm going to give it my best and is very appreciative of the experience and the opportunities that she gets from the show. And I do respect that a lot. I feel like Anna is very similar in that Mm -hmm. way. Um, their exchange wasn't the only kind of like heartfelt moment that we had in the cauldron because JK and Cynthia kind of are pulled over to the side and really kind of, I think Cynthia's there just to sort of support JK because he's taken a lot. And some people might say he deserves it because he, he picks at everyone. You, you, can, you can dish it out, but can you take it? Maybe, but can you take it from every direction? I don't know. What, what do you guys think about this scene? I am so proud of JK for that moment because I think that it's the first time that we actually get to see a real person behind there. Like we see JK as this Dennis the Menace kind of character and they're a great performer, but it's kind of obvious. I'm like, who are you underneath this? Like, why do you use humor? So like, what are you not hiding, but what is, what's, what are you scared of? And I mm-hmm. feel like C- Cynthia, the therapist of the season somehow <laughs> is like, well, let's break that down. And he starts to cry. And I was like, oh my God. Like, I, I actually love this episode. Like, I feel like everyone comes ready to just sort of be authentic in this episode. And I really appreciate it. I think maybe they were getting over their initial fears of being on the show and getting used to being in you know, front of the camera and all that stuff. It's hard to imagine, but I think a lot of people are like, yeah, I'd be fine. I'd just do whatever. But then I'm like, you don't really always yeah. do that. Some people do. <laughs> yeah. Some people snap to it, but not everybody. No, and it is a pressure cooker. That's the thing. Like maybe JK has this kind of like Dennis the Menace character in Brooklyn, but you go out, you do your gig, you have your night, then you go home and you can kind of like be in your own bubble. But there is no bubble to retri- mm-hmm. retreat to when you're competing on the show and you're kind of always on. And if you create heat where you leave off on day one, that he is still there. The oven is still hot at the beginning of day two. And I think that's exhausting for people. Well, I want to make a quick correction. It's Dennis. They menace just so. Oh, oh, I do love that. I do love that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, once the Monstars are ready, the judges are revealed for this first half of the Monsters of Rock challenge. And for the very first time ever in five or six seasons of the show, it's just the two of us. (laughs) <laughs> i love it i love it oh ma guma <laughs> so when we decided to break the episode up into two obviously we already had judges for monsters of rock booked but i thought i could not let someone else decide that one of our competitors were going to go home on the spot right i just there. couldn't yeah mm-hmm. and so i thought it was only fair that we did it because you know we cast them we know their journeys and their history and 
we know what we're looking for. So I just felt like it was the best thing to do to just have the two of us. Cause could you imagine? No, I couldn't. And you know, the stakes are just too high and that's the truth. And it was so fun. It was so fun. The way we're sort of teleporting away from the stage back into the booth and like flip flop and all that. It was like so cool. (laughs) Yeah. That was definitely one of my favorite things to see it edited in the way that it was. I was like, God, I love it. It's just, I think that this is what makes this season so fun for me personally is that sort of like, irreverent humor that I think the Mm. show is it is exactly the kind of humor that we all have privately and so to kind of bring that forward I just love it I love it too and I think people are seeing a little larger dose this season of Mm -hmm. that like we're getting comments like oh it's great to see you guys just sort of like showing some vulnerability or having like these fun little side conversations and I didn't understand I've seen people say that which I guess I just don't I don't recall what makes it on the air because we're like that all day (laughs) on set but it doesn't I guess a lot of it doesn't make it to the final edit or something (laughs) no it doesn't oh there was something i'm a know. fool all day <laughs> believe trust and believe she's learned that you're okay cat all day long mama Damn. i probably was going nuts about that <laughs> you, oh you were relentless. that's the raw footage they want to see relentless <laughs> if, if people watch that movie they would feel bad for me <laughs> i don't know about that <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, before we dive into the floor show, we are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. All right. We are back and we're going to dig right into the Monsters of Rock part one floor show, which is their solo look. So Swan and I got to speak about our favorites and who we thought didn't do as well and all that stuff. But Ian, what were your thoughts on this floor show? Ooh, mama, I have thoughts. Let's I, have, hear. I have thoughts. <laughs> I was rewatching and I, first of all, I love Monsters of Rock. It is my favorite challenge that we do every season and to get to see the single looks and in this way, mm, chef's kiss. I love it. I want to give a special shout out to Anna for stomping on them big old heels. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I, I really agree with the judging for the most part. I think that Fantasia is the clear winner. When she did that wig reveal, it just, like you said in the judgment, the whole crew gas. And mm-hmm. I was there clutching my pearls, mama. Mm-hmm. I love Neo's uh, katana saber microphone thing. And this is maybe my controversial opinion. I love Orgotic, but I did feel like this look started to verge a little on sameness, which is Mm -hmm. weird because it's so cool. Like, the look is badass. But I think that Orgotic has almost set himself up for this level, this caliber of monster drag. And so when I saw it, I was like, I don't know, girl. Which is so (laughs) weird because I'm like, he looks like a fucking total bat creature monster. Yeah. But there's a sameness. And and I'm excited to see what happens next episode with him because he gets that critique about the boots. And I'm like, okay, let's see what happens. Yeah. Well, now let's see. What did you think of Jarvis and JK's look? Okay. So here we here we go. <laughs> I <laughs> redirect your hate at Ian at everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's at Devogler. Yeah. I really enjoy the concept of both of their looks. However, I think that the execution of both of them, it just it's a miss. I think that the Ziggy Stardust in this sort of goth metal nightmare universe is cool. 
The color choices, though, definitely bring us to thing one and thing two. Mm -hmm. And as a former emo kid wearing my own, like, Invader Zim Gurr sweatshirt, I'm like, JK, I absolutely see it. I get it. But the smallness of the look, I'm like, everyone else is giant spikes and just huge. And then you have these big kind of like Ariana Grande, <laughs> like sweater <laughs> hands. Yeah. I was like, eh, okay. Yeah. So I think, unfortunately, they both deserve their placement in the bottom for the looks. Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to put it out there now. If you ever come on Dragula and you happen to compete <laughs> in a Monsters of Rock challenge, Please don't channel that Dolly period. You're right. talking about like early 2000s. Oh, yeah. Early to mid 2000s. Well, yeah. 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 Okay. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work. We've seen it twice now because Hoso did it too. And it, and, and Hoso, Hoso did it really I well. Did. Yeah, Hoso really kind of trailblazed it because it was the first time we saw that on the Dragula stage, but it didn't, you know, didn't score very well. I appreciate that people are drawing from different periods of rock. I think that's cool because, you, you know, even Fantasia's was very 80s Tina Turner. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And I even like the whole Ziggy Stardust kind of like I like, but the colors, I'm just like, just do it black and gold. Yeah, but I did think that there was one color pop that I really liked, and that was Cynthia's. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I agree. Cynthia gets the critique of, like, you're giving a little bit of five, six, seven, eight at the rock show, so... Five, six, <laughs> seven, eight, and Cynthia kick. Doll. And stretch. And yes. kick. And sorry. Hummus to the fungus. <laughs> <laughs> and I agree with that, but when Cynthia came out, I, it was really nice, because I also think that Red and Flames, Monsters of Rock, sure. woo Of course. <laughs> and so when, when she came out, I was like, okay, I like a color pop. It's just the blue wig. And Jarvis, I love you, but the blue wig. Yeah, the blue, it was a choice. And it wasn't really like it had black in it or low lights. It was just blue. It was like blue, blue. Jarvis took a huge risk too. And he says it. He's like, oh, this is going to be the first time that my human skin tone is shown. And I definitely don't want it to seem as though, hey, you take risks and you get punished. That's not the case. But it just kind of missed the mark no i, I love the way that, that jarvis attacked the the makeup in particular because that ziggy stardust look is so specific and mm. there's that like gold disc that represents the sun on his forehead and jarvis chose to do the moon and, and i kind of got some peeks at jarvis before they were ready for the floor show and i was so excited because i love the satanic interpretation of the jumpsuit and i love the moon in place of the sun i'm like god this has such great potential because the the reference material is so yeah, good it's very true. kind of like the reference material was really i think exceptional through this whole floor show in ways that we've not really seen before because we've seen like kiss and big rock band inspirations but like david bowie tina turner elvis i mean these are different corners mm -hmm. of the rock world well that's why cool. i was surprised that jarvis being a ghost and especially liking looking for places to do political commentary this would have been a great place to do some political commentary about rock and roll and a ghost from you know like you could mm -hmm. really do that so i was kind of surprised that he chose to go with that that look um let's talk about throb's look a little bit because throb was hot that, oh my god it was so right yep. yep throb was gyrating and sort of like humping the floor and just the gays on set were into it i was like you're, <laughs> you're doing a good job throb because these gays are you're they're like, after you the girls the gays. Right <laughs> <laughs> staring and, through ian's soul <laughs> yeah, literally and I, uh, I i hey you know what i said it there i'll say it again throb was hot yeah that day, but I feel like we saw a crack in the armor a little bit because Throb is so put together, but it was, there were so many gags. And then when the hair gag kind of failed to launch, I saw for the first time, I saw a Throb just kind of 
freeze up a little. And I was like, oh, oh my God. See, I respect that though, because Throb with every performance so far really reaches for the stars. He's not, oh, yeah. he's not giving us like one or two. He's reaching for 10. So if you drop a few, I'm like, is it better that you reach for 10 and you get eight well, or you, you reach for is three? It, is it better if he hadn't done them at all? Or do you think it's better to fumble a little bit? I think it's a risk if you mess it up. If you try 10 times, there's a higher risk that you will kind of drop one of those balls. If you only try three times, obviously, you know, your chances of dropping something are much fewer, but I think it gives him a chance to show off and and express how many different ideas he has and really like use the opportunity to just show us what he's got. Um, what do you think, Drac? What did you think of, of Throb? I thought it was great. You know, the colors were a little loud for Monsters of Rock, but I love the throwback to Elvis. It's very different. And again, to me, Throb is redefining drag kings. I think Throb is really expanding what drag kings can do and showing how creative and how loud and big and stage worthy you can make drag. Oh, I agree. And this kind of like pervasive sexuality like all the humping and the yeah. grinding and the, the hip thrusting <laughs> like really living up to the name throb zombie it's sex and dead it's it's evil but attractive and it's just a cool mix I oh blow my mind with this right now <laughs> one thing that i think gagged everybody was this sudden death lip sync or die kind mm-hmm. of moment and I, I just want to kind of express this too there was no break There was no reset or time to prepare yourselves or anything like that. Like we orchestrated this. So like, we're going to do this. We're going to do it. And right at the end of that judgment, it was like, we mean now. Yeah, The music was shocked. The music started right after we said that literally. That was actually one of my favorite moments of, I think the whole season because it felt like a live club. You know, it Mm. was really one of those things where, and Film production is a lot of moving pieces. You're juggling a lot of things, and there is a lot of uh, a lot of lace work that has to happen. It has to happen at the same time. But this was one of those moments. I remember y'all were like, "Hey, we need to make sure this happens exactly right here. Is it ready? Are we ready? Are we ready? Because there is mm-hmm. no cutting. We're not going to yell cut." And it was awesome to see. <laughs> it mean, was so not good. for Jarvis, but well, so, okay. Yeah. I want to talk about it. So, J.K. absolutely demolished that lip sync Mm -hmm. it was great there was more it was longer it would have been painful to air all of it i think no crumbs i think oh my god (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh no no crumbs mama she ate honey (laughs) (laughs) so i was like i thought we were past that expression anyways so yeah i think that that jarvis just it was unexpected. Jarvis was not prepared for that. Who would be? You know, we've never done anything like that in the history of the show. So I don't know how I would have did in that situation. That would have been awful. Mm-hmm. But I think it was important because the competition is so stiff. The artists are so powerful. We have to do things like that to really put it to the test and push a decision one way or the other. Yeah. I thought Jarvis would make it till the end of the show. I'm just mm-hmm. going to, I never say that kind of stuff, but I'm going to say it now. I thought Jarvis would be in the top three, hundred percent. Like when they were cast, I think, you know, I thought the same thing too. At the beginning of the season, just looking at their, the way that they present and their power levels. I was like, Jarvis will be at but the there's end. There's yeah. no way we could have said, we're going to keep Jarvis over JK in that moment. It's just the way the cookie crumbled. Wasn't planned. It was random. And to respect the authenticity and the rules of the show, 
we had to do what we had to do. And that's what happened. It's yeah. It's almost seems like it was kismet that it should have been that way. And for JK to go on and Jarvis to not, um, because there's a lot of different ways you can do drag. Hi, it's mm-hmm. like an uh, endless open forum of, of expression. You can do it in a million different ways, but not everybody does rock or if someone, if someone put on a, Ariana Grande song or whatever, and like Swan, do it. I'm I'm not sure that I would be able to rise to that occasion. Well, maybe. I don't know well, about that, girl. That's I think not you, true. You would probably, but, slay. but you know what I'm trying to say. Like for Jarvis, that's not Jarvis's drag. Jarvis's comedy and performance and you know humor in a way that probably no one. If that was the type of uh, lip sync mm-hmm. we we threw at them, obviously Jarvis would have won. So I just think that it was just a matter of kismet, or. Or Goddick's curse. Ooh, you tell me. The curse of the Teletubby Toilet Bowl returns. What did you think about the way it turned out, Ian? I was bummed. I was really bummed. And I say that it was my favorite thing that happened all season because of the production elements of it. But in terms of saying goodbye to Jarvis, I was heartbroken. I think that Jarvis is super talented. And we saw him perform live at the Halloween Ball. And they're an excellent performer. But it really is testament to the fact that in a reality competition like Dragula, like you said, the cookie crumbles in a way and it just, it just wasn't your day. Mm -hmm. Right. And it just is, it was just their time to go home. And I think that they handled it like a hundred percent. Oh my God. A fucking adult professional, but smart. So so good. With a memorable kind of expression on the way out. Wow. Really nailed it. Yeah. I, I was so proud of Jarvis in that moment and just, love Jarvis. So Jarvis goes on to be the only competitor ever killed on the actual set of the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what a cool death scene too. Like I remember so vividly shooting it this day. I'm like, this is going to be, so that was good. like one of the most fun death scenes to direct. I feel like, because it was, we were able to show for the first time, the color into the black yeah. and white. Yeah. So you're seeing the upside down or whatever, the world of the Boulay brothers in the black and white, the kind of old Hollywood monster, sort of vision like our killed our our nightmare dimension yeah and i thought it was cool that you saw jarvis kind of come through and then come back into the room and no one was there yeah i hope people get that i don't know maybe they will hopefully they will hopefully they won't try to assign some sort of what is this hat to it oh not what is this hat i I love jarvis's acting i really love that this one almost flexes some supernatural kills because the kills so far have been very hands-on, I'll say, mm-hmm. like very visceral. You know, we have the the amazing shining axe, and then we, of course, we get the dolls kind of ripping Onyx apart. But to have this one be the lights coming down and, and just killing him, I was like, I love this death scene. It's so good. One of the coolest things about it, and this is something we didn't know, in Jarvis's story, because, you know, Jarvis Hammer is a character that they created, and so... In their story, the the way they became a ghost is from theater lights falling and hitting them and killing them. And we did not know that. that I is, couldn't believe that's it. That's the death scene awesome. that we had planned for that episode, no matter who it was, because mm-hmm. we know we wanted to kill them on stage. So the fact that that was part of their history, I mean, that seems so magical and like it happened for a reason. It's almost unbelievable, as you say it. I'm like, no one's going to believe this, but it's true. I would like to see Jarvis again on TV. I really would, because I feel like coming back a second time they would approach it very differently i totally agree i totally that. agree too and i'd like to see it i would like to see that happen. <laughs> i'd like to see that happen mama all right so anyways we should move on to listener questions yeah 
I would agree. Okay. Well, Ian, will you do the honors? <laughs> it would be my pleasure. Michael from Orlando asks, very serious question. When you killed Satana last episode and you knocked the door down with your axe, why did you not say, here's Swanee? Because it's cringy. <laughs> <laughs> very it, cringy. It is cringy. Although I do have to be honest, that was said on set when we filmed that death <laughs> scene. I didn't actually say it, but I'm like, do we want to kind of play into that moment? Because it's too perfect. But... I think it's better where we almost have like these no communication kind of like kills. It's a little more horror. We decided to lean that way instead of leaning into like a campiness. Danica from Big Bear asks, when you were watching the floor shows, do you keep the whiteout contacts in? I know you have said it's hard to see when wearing them. What yeah, contacts? of course we take them out. <laughs> yeah, we don't watch the floor show with our contacts. But I mean, that's a valid question. They see us in the judges booth. They see the floor show and then they see us talking about it. So yes, we take them out. And again, where we're directing these. So we're down on the floor rolling around and telling them, look up, look here. Okay, this is your camera. Like we're very physically involved and right in front of them and around the stage when the floor show is happening. Also, we do a look check too, which I don't know, I guess I'm kind of spilling it all, but we do have them all line up and we examine their looks. We examine their makeup very close up, their looks. We go, but I always go behind them too. We look at everything. So we do not see them with contacts in. <laughs> What's funny? I know what Ian, I can read Ian's what? mind. I'm just thinking about that scenario whenever it happens every episode and they're standing there and we had to basically institute a rule which was like okay when the boulets come to look at you just look forward just model just look forward because they would all stare oh my god like, like, i we, guess it's natural we have though, to request like, can you not <laughs> look in my we're gonna, fucking we're gonna face. come up and judge you do not make eye contact with the boulets <laughs> or the judges the other judges like don't look them in the face yeah. and it's not a an attempt of power play or anything like that but it would literally be like portraits with moving eyes like it'd be like oh my god you're creeping me out the reason why is because you want to be able to like if they look forward like a statue then you can really look at their face and move your head around look at everything but when someone's staring you in the eyes you tend to lock eyes with them and then you're distracted and you can't look at their makeup so i'm well, like don't stare into them yeah or if i decide to look at some some aspect of their look i get paranoid that they're thinking like I think oh my that God, too. Swan, yeah, Swan yeah. doesn't like my shoes. She's sp spending way too much time on my yep. like, yeah, yeah, like totally. that kind of And I'm thing. like, yeah. no, I'm just trying to figure out what is it? What are your shoes? Is your boot a fire hydrant? <laughs> is it a whale? Damn. <laughs> Sammy from North Carolina writes, have you ever thought of releasing your favorite full-length floor shows from any season for some sort of special creature feature? These snippets from the show are such a tease. Oh, I can't, I can't tell fans this enough. You don't want it. You don't want it. You don't want it. It's not what you think it is. It's not cool. It's not fun. It's not like you're watching a drag show at a club. I would say if you're a fan of someone on the show, just go watch them live mm -hmm. and tip them. You know, that's, that's the best thing you can do if you want to see it. Cause the way the show's filmed, it's not like that. It's not what people think. It would be very boring. And honestly, you probably wouldn't like it. Yeah. Tristan from France writes, I would love to hear some details on the process of shooting lip sync floor shows, such as episode threes. I imagine all competitors perform the song in its entirety one by one. So I would like to know, does the song ever get annoying after a while? I think the song could run the risk of being annoying, but in this particular example, when we said this is our favorite song from 1913, The Devil's Ball, 
we really meant it. Like we've already listened to this song like a million times. We know it very well. And here's some tea. We wanted to cover it. We actually worked at it for months and months to try to like update the song and make it more modern. And we haven't been we able may. to figure it out. Yeah, but we, we still might. Um, but in this case, I don't think there was anything that was going to make us get sick of that song. No, I mean, there are other songs that I've been like, oh my God, I can't. But we're sort of... I feel like I did that more when we weren't directing it because it was just boring to hear it over and over. But I think I, I'm so distracted with like trying to make sure everyone's looking good and they yeah. understand what's happening that the music becomes secondary, really. I feel that. All right, everybody. Well, that is it for this episode's postmortem. Make sure you remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. And if you have questions for us, we'll answer them on air. If you send them to us at creatures at bouletbrothersdragula.com. Thank you all, and we will see you next week. Happy Thanksgiving, ugly. The Boulet Brothers Creatures of the Night is hosted and produced by Drachmorda and Swanthula Boulet, along with co-host Ian DeVogler, with music by Neuron Spectre. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.